Welcome to the Plus Six Podcast. My name is Pete, and I go by the name of AFL Ratings Pete on Twitter. Welcome to a man you know on Twitter as JeppaDT. Welcome to the show, Jep, and it sounds quite windy in Perth. Hey, Pete. Yeah, it's uh, bucketing down. It's been a bit uh, wet and wild over here for the last few days. All right, let's get into some talk pre-podcast. So last week, we had a high injury impact. So Sam Doherty ruled out for a significant period of time. Lockie Neal, midway through the week, uh, calf injury concern came up, and Andrew Gaff on the Saturday was ruled out. What are your thoughts on all those? Yeah, uh, quite disastrous for coaches with pre-planned trades and having to adjust. Um, the Gaff and Neal were probably holds, and um, the Doherty one, yeah, that sort of came from nowhere. Yeah, so Doherty was early in the week. Uh, Neil came up with a bit of a heads-up Thursday morning and, and we pretty much everyone knew that he was going to be ruled out um, by game time if he didn't get on that flight to Adelaide. And yeah, Gaff uh, the day before the game, but that was on the Saturday, but Gaff was pretty much lowly owned, so I'm not too sure too many would be in the scenario. To have all three would have been a disaster if you did. Um, I thought taking time to make decisions was important, especially, and bench cover was definitely a factor last week, Jeff. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So probably a lot of Newcombs would have been on field for Neil, as an example. Um, that would happen a lot, and fair enough. Okay, bench and captain loophole uh, process is extremely important and to consider each week. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it is important, but with a rolling lockout, I, I, I feel like it's less important than previous years. So we... we we do need the backup trade planned, I think. So I usually have two trade scenarios for every week, and one um, is for, you know, a, hypothetically a premier that is injured. So coaches need to plan for it. Um, we've, we've harped on it all year. Uh, but, yeah, nevertheless, the, you know, the Sunday games, if there's a laid out, you still need that bench cover. Yeah, I, I give some thought to uh, plenty of bench cover and where I place it as well. So I've got a Joel Amati on my bench, and I leave him in that utility spot. So late on Sunday, I had, I'd still had an allocated where he was going to sit as an emergency, either in the forward lawn or the rack. So yeah. I, I left it in, until game time. And which, when you don't hear any news about Grundy all week, um, then he was due to play in that mid, mid-game on Sunday, well, then I can flick him onto a forward emergency. And that covered that late game for me as far as um, Aaron Hall and Jack Siebel in that forward line is. So if one of those is suddenly late withdrawn, which we didn't have any news anyway, is that you actually got pretty decent cover with Marty there. So I give I give my bench and where I place him on my bench a bit of thought, and especially uh, with the rolling lockout, that you can utilise that in a couple of different positions. So that's something to think about there as well. All right, so round 17, Jeb, we've got coming up. We've got a Thursday to Monday game slate. So we've got uh, all the way through into Mondays. Now, that North Melbourne West Coast on Monday, you, uh, for those who have players in that game, you've just got to keep out for that weather forecast because, as, mm-hmm. as you can probably hear with Jeb at the moment in Perth, it's quite windy and, and there's a little bit of rain about there. But that weather's pretty much going to last this week. Might be a bit of a gap, but Monday that is pretty much heavy rain forecast. So just got to keep an eye out for that. Your thoughts on that, Jeb? Yeah, and the Mark Kick game that um, both North Melbourne play in their back half and West Coast obviously love to play, that's going to have a, an impact on fantasy. So, yeah, the forecast is not great for Perth, so we've just got to keep an eye on it. 
All right, as always, if you retweet any podcast link that is sent out via Twitter on the Plus Six Podcast Twitter feed, you go in with a chance at winning a Plus Six Podcast cap. We're going to give a few more away at the end of the year. We've got beanies coming up too at some stage, so I'll get them made up as well. And also, I'll get a couple of comps there to finish out this season as well that you'll see pop up in the next couple of weeks. All right, also, AFL Ratings Twitter accounts, plenty of information coming up, especially with injuries there as well. And also, aflratings.com.au, uh, a few injury issues there this week. And also some uh, top five rookies uh, pretty much for the weekly basis on that website. So jump on there and have a look. Now, remember this podcast is focused on AFL Fantasy Classic overall ranking. And as always, as always, keep saying it, but last week it, it played straight into that scenario as well. Uh, make necessary adjustments when news comes to hand. There was a bit of thought on last week, especially with that Neil one there as well. And we'll go through that in a minute. But uh, this podcast is being recorded on Tuesday night, July 6. All right, Jeff, let's get into it. General questions. How would you have handled that Lockie Neal issue from last week if you were an owner? Are you actually an owner? No, I'm not. But uh, I probably would have held and um, play, assuming having Newcomb or Bramble on the bench and played one of those. I think... Where Brisbane's at, they still need a lock in their top four spot. Neil's an important cog in all that. And um, the game that he um, played last or two weeks ago now was, was pretty impressive after a slow start. Yeah, for me, actually, the timelines here are actually quite important. So the issue previously was that um, he had that shoulder concern, yeah? So he got through yeah. the game, finished the game. There was no dislocation. So I listened to an interview from uh, Lions CEO uh, Greg Swan on Wednesday. Now, I did post this on AFL Ratings Twitter feed. Is that his shoulder's okay, he's out there training, that's fine. And once I heard that interview, I go, great, yeah, no issues. So the next morning, Sam Ember on SCN comes out and says, Lockie Neal's got a calf issue. So I go, well, that's interesting. So then, um, so I just kept that in mind, posted that on um, my, my actual feed, just a you know, bit of an awareness situation. So then I just give a little bit more time. So then in the meantime, a couple of hours later, and this is where timelines are really important, and this factored into my decision, and as I told everyone last week on this podcast, I was an owner. And if I had to trade Neil out, it would have been the third time. So I was actually quite interested to see and really paid attention on where the information was coming from, firstly, and how it was disseminated. So anyway, so after Sammy Edmund puts that out on SEN, I do believe it, but I just want more information just to solidify uh, more more information and just to uh, lock in that, that that is actually happening for Neil. So then a couple of hours later, Brisbane actually posts their injury report for the week and Lockie Neil is not on it, which I go, well, that's actually quite interesting because by the time, it might have been pre-written and they've just published it, you know, their scheduled publish date, whatever. Okay, but they would have had a couple of hours up their sleeve to acknowledge that, okay, Lockie Neal was in the news because that was pretty much all over social media. So then I go, well, there's a couple of hours there and they didn't include him in that um, injury report. So I thought, well, that's interesting. So then, so I wait a couple more hours and then a few more people are out there posting um, that, yes, Lockie Neal does have a calf issue. So then at that point when there's multiple reports, well, I go, well, this is actually real. So he's a chance to miss this week. Then we get to team announcements, and again, the timeline's really important here, and it factored in my decision what I was going to do, and I'll tell you what I did in a minute, is that Brisbane did name him in that team. Then so I go, well, that's even more interesting, because that news is real, everyone's reported it. So, And then they've named him in the team, so I go, it actually might not that be that big of an issue. So that was my thought going into Thursday night. 
Anyway, so we get to Friday, and Mitch Cleary says, well, um, if he doesn't jump on the plane, he's, he's not playing. Well, that's obviously because obviously with the COVID border restrictions in play for um, Adelaide and so for South Australia and Victoria. So, and they have to fly over game day and be on that plane. So then I thought, well, interesting. Um, if he's not getting in a plane, it might be just the one week. And they did name him. So I was thinking, I'm actually holding him. And that's exactly what I did. I had bench cover on there. Now, Jeremy Sharp did play the night before. And I thought, well, if he can pop up an 80 or so, well, then I've got actually pretty good cover. Yeah. So that would have been... But his scores, I think it was as low as 60. And I thought, well, that's actually the bottom range of where I actually wanted that score to be. So then, uh, gets the game day and Lockie Neal's out. Match clearly reported that. Didn't get on a plane. Did not play. But I was still satisfied at that point in time that it was a long, wasn't a long-term injury because... It was pretty much he was named, and it, and if it was a significant injury, Brisbane would surely not have named him for that for that game on Saturday. So my theory was to hold him. Now Chris Fagan did come out and say post game that he expected him to play next week, and that's leading into round 17. So all the information that I took in uh, actually played out exactly the way it was. So I held, and um, he gets to play again this week, Chip. Yeah, it's um. It's a doozy when it happens to you, and there's no real right or wrong answer, I don't think, because you can obviously trade him offload and, and, and get the points. It just depends how the rest of your team set at this point of the year. Um, but, yeah, disappointing. Uh, I think Brisbane can be more transparent, and obviously we discussed the rules around reporting injuries and, and, and that kind of thing in Geelong's behaviours of recent years. So... We've just got to deal with the cards we're dealt, my friend. Um, soft tissues aren't the greatest to, to sort of go in with this week, but hopefully um, I think he'll be right. And like I said, Brisbane have got a lot to play for. And in the next four weeks, we'll, you know, we'll start to see players rested, I think, um, when positions become solidified. Yeah, so the, I had a bit of re- recall with my decision there as well, because remember when... Uh, Lockie Neal did his ankle earlier this year. So he played out the game. Anyway, the next day or the day of, um, they immediately put it up on their um, feed on their website that he was out and was having ankle surgery. So for me, it was a bit of recall there. If there was something serious, they'd tell people. So I thought, well, they're not actually... They had two opportunities to tell people that mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a long-term injury. That was one, the injury report didn't appear on there. And, and they're not required by AFL regulations to put any injury in there. It's just I'm not, like if people send me around on Twitter about all this. But anyway, we'll just leave that apart. They didn't put it on there, and they still named him, so I didn't think it was too much serious. So that's that factored into my decision uh, quite a lot. And then especially when we've only got two trades per week, and if you can hold a trade uh, for, for one week and that play returns like if it was a suspension or something like that, that actually can put you in a good position as long as you've got decent bench coverage at yeah, and that's right, and that's what you—that's um, a fallback position for all of us, and it has to be the fallback for coaches going into the last eight weeks. Okay, trade targets that will attract ownership this week, Jeb. So we're going to go through three players here. It's going to be Jordan Degoe, Jack Stringer, and Patrick Dangerfield. First, your thoughts on Jordan Degoe? Now, one twenty-four points last week. He's got the green light in that midfield to go in there. Now, eight percent in that top twenty-five ownership. Um, and his last two is average 115 points, Jep. Your thoughts? Uh, 
I would avoid. Yes, Robert Harvey likes him more in there than Buckley does. I think that's fair assumption. But there's no way I don't – with the style, the way Jordan plays, I don't think he can be a consistent 100-point player. So I would avoid him. Now, I've talked about um, when there's high ownership going onto a certain player. And if you can put holes through that player and and – put a certain amount of risk on that play, well, then it's an opportunity to ignore and go somewhere else. Now, the goey does have the green light there, but the one thing um, I would have to put out to our listeners is that Collingwood are struggling to score. Now, they've got more check forward. They've got Elliott there as well. Mason Cox, has, Mason Cox has done pretty much nothing. So, Tagoe is actually a pretty good forward as well, which we do know. So, when he's on, we can actually elevate the scores. Collingwood can, that is. So I think there's still an opportunity uh, for the remainder of the season that he could spend some time forward. Now, again, Collingwood have moved on their coach, Nathan Buckley, this year. Robert Harvey is in the interim period, and they're evaluating their list. And I still think there's an opportunity there that that, that situation may change. So I would put a little bit of risk associated with um, targeting Dugowie. And again, if you can have a little bit of risk in there and you've got heavy ownership, you've got to be thinking it might be a good opportunity um, to take him on. But yeah, uh, he scores there, and Collingwood are just holding onto the ball there as well. A lot of uncontested marks. And if they're going to play that style for the remainder of the year, he actually could be a big pick. But I've just got to tell you, a bit of a warning. Uh, volatile situation with the team out of finals, uh, interim coach in there, evaluating list. So there could be a possibility of a issue with trading him in. Now, the second player there is Jake Stringer. So 4% owned now in that top 25. So one one. Uh, coach did trade him in. So his last three games, he's averaged 115 points, but Jeb, Dylan Shield is on the radar to return. Your thoughts? Exactly. Look, having Shield back, and again, even if he's had a couple of centre bounces a quarter, um, it's not going to correlate. And, and same as Dugowie, they're very similar players, aren't they? They're impact yep. players, bigger bodies that can go in the midfield, and it's just the consistency for me. You are trading these players in for the rest of the year. Yep. Any play you're trading now is basically for the rest of the year. So I can't do it, and I wouldn't recommend doing it. Yeah, Stringer, uh, I would put a hell of a lot more risk associated with trading him in than the goey, and I think that's an opportunity there that could fail. So if there's ownership heading on to Stringer, uh, that's one I would definitely avoid. All right, Jeff, on to our third one now. Now, I am putting a, a little bit of risk on Patrick Dangefield here. But I'm going to get your thoughts first. So 149 points last week, and he was traded in in that top 25. So uh, those that traded him in last week just got the absolute best payoff you could imagine going in there for a massive first up score. So he's now up to 60% ownership in that top 25. So that's something to consider that there is ownership there. I'll let I'll get your thoughts first, however. Yeah, look, I love him. Um, I tweeted out before on the game on Friday. I said. If I could bring in Dangerfield, Dangerfield, I would. But then during the game, Jeremy Cameron does a hammy, and we know what's happened before when Tom Hawkins needs some help down there. Patrick Dangerfield's gone forward. Now, will that happen again? Who knows? It is probably likely, more likely than unlikely. Uh, I think where Geelong again, similar to Brisbane, they need to make this top four. And how are they going to make the top four? With Dangerfield in the midfield. So you play your best fields, uh, your best players in their best position. And Dangerfield to me just has to play in the midfield and rest up, rest forward. So again, 
I'm looking at him again this week very, very heavily. Uh, the value and obviously his price and what Geelong needing to do um, and how that's going to correlate in fantasy points is, is pretty, well, it's hard to pass up. All right, so jump onto aforratings.com.au because I did make some uh, fantasy notes in his injury report, and that's pretty much what you said with regards to Jeremy Cameron going down. Does he go forward? So firstly, what you've got to acknowledge here is that Mark O'Connor did not play last week, so he could have potentially gone to either Merritt or Parrish. So he goes out of that team. Now, Dangerfield was allocated to see an increase in midfield usage, and they were the comments made pre-game from uh, assistant coaches, and that was the comment made from post-game from Patrick Dangerfield himself. So he pretty much much said, we were minus some midfielders, it was my time to go in there. So if O'Connor plays, does he play that much mid-time? You've really got to ask yourself that question. Now, the the most important part of that was the Jerry McCammon injury. Now, uh, does Jenkins come into that team? Does Radaglia, who's done not much forward this year, go into that team? Dangerfield is absolutely an option to go forward, spend a little bit more time forward. So you've got to factor, factor that in there as well. But I think Geelong have a pretty decent draw to finish off the season. So he can he can get there in the scores in in the end with regards to a decent average to finish off the season. But it's just you've got to factor all that in and make an informed decision uh, in your Yourself, and he's going to be wholly owned again this week. So he jumped from 20% in that top 25 last week up to 60%. And you've got to imagine people are going to see that score of 149 points and is going to go auto click in trade. I need to get him. Yeah. So, so he's going to be monster owned. Now, again, as I've said all year, if you can start to put holes in a, pretty much a decent trade target for the week, um, well, then that's an opportunity to look elsewhere. Now, I love the score from Dangerfield last week. I thought it was fantastic. But I'm not going to sit here and guarantee that he's going to play that midfield time for the remainder of the year. Now, as much as we can say, well, that's where his best position, he looked great, well, I'm not too sure with that now with that Jeremy Cameron injury that that's going to be the situation because we know that Chris Scott loves to play him forward. Now, the other thing that came out of that game as well, that Dangerfield did see a bit of an ankle tweak in that game. He was assessed, came back on, and he actually looked pretty good to finish off. But if I factor all those things in there with regards to Mark O'Connor potentially coming back into that team, Jeremy Cameron injury, what, is that, what does that do to his role? You know, are, we, are these types of holes that we're going to say, yeah, I might look elsewhere. Now, Jep, is he top six forward even if he plays a split midfield forward role? I would still say yes. Your thoughts there? Uh, I'd actually say no. Um, I think there is... An abundance of high scorers in the forward line now. Mm. Um, I, I'm pretty set with who I'm targeting. It just depends on salary and who you can afford. So yep. basically it's this week or nothing for Danger. If you're not getting him this week, he's, yep. what, near 700K than the week after. And the cash generation is a real problem at this point of year for many coaches. So, yeah, mate, I um, look, I, I would... Hedge other bets and um, back in the Zorcos, even though it's more expensive. But, um, you know, there are much more prominent forward scores than just Dangerfield. Well, that's ex- exactly where I'd go. Like, if you look, we're going to get this top 25 ownership in a minute, but it, it's virtually six players locked in. So Dangerfield's now that sixth player. And if, yeah. you, if you don't have him, Zorco's not owned, man. Like, there you like, go. like he, he is the target for me over Dangerfield. So if you can make that move and take on Danger, now Danger can still score. Now I'm not saying he's going to be an absolute fail, but it's 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 now Zorko with little ownership versus Danger high ownership and a potential that he's going to put forward. Now 
uh, Zorko has got a potentially a better ceiling than Danger, I would imagine, uh, especially this year. So I'm not too sure your thoughts on that. Um, and yeah, so yeah, I, agree with that. I, I, I would pretty much go on to the low ownership of Zorko. So well, we always talk about gaining rank. You're not going to gain rank by bringing um, Danger Field. You've got to pray for the best, effectively, and and bring in Zorko. That's the only way to to, to climb the ladder. Um, mm. You can't just even it out and, and have a danger field along with the top-ranked coaches. It's, it's Zorko or or nothing, or you're playing your league games or whatever it is. But we, we're all about overall rank, and it's a no-brainer then. It is Zorko all the way. So this is the deal. You're right, and if you're trading in danger field, you're doing it to pretty much hold your rank, I, yeah, I would imagine. It. So if you're highly yeah. ranked at the moment and, you, and you've got opportunity to go higher throughout the season because you think you've, you've got the Jack Steels in there, you've got those types of players that are hitting now, ceiling gains, Took Miller, although there's not many people that own him and he's having a fantastic season. But if you've got all those pieces in place at the moment and if you've got a completed team at the moment, there's no way known I'd be hitting into danger. I'd be going on to the lower ownership as well. Go. Your thoughts, Chip? Yeah, I completely agree. Okay. On to current assessments. Now we're going to get into some ownership here. So we're just going to go through the rough top 25 ownership it is. So yep. Gorn at 100%, that hasn't changed. Now Grundy, uh, the, the move was made by a lot of those top-ranked coaches last week to get Grundy in straight after the buy. So now he's gone from um, 48%. He's gone up to 48%, and that's plus 28% from last week. So a bit of a spike in his ownership. And I've got to imagine uh, that that's going to pretty much hit uh, 100% towards at least the remainder of the year. But some people might be comfortable sitting with Sean Darcy. Now, he's at 36% now, He's and that's that forward and ruck position, so it's split either either. Now, I'd be comfortable sitting Darcy. Well, there's another option if those that don't own, don't want to go to Dangerfield. You've got Darcy sitting there as well, Jet. Oh, and he was, like, fantasy aside... He was phenomenal <laughs> against Carlton. Yeah, he was pretty um, awesome. And almost single-handedly got Freo over the line there. Um, but then, obviously, considering fantasy, he scored really, really well. Um, and I'm a proud owner. And the other one, so Darcy was 36% total loan forward ruck, and you've got Riley O'Brien at 32%. So talk about any one of those, Jep. Yeah, look, I, I, by the end of this week, I'm going to have Gorn, Grundy and Darcy. So Darcy will be in my forward line. I, I see Darcy as a top six forward. Um, I like him a lot more than Dangerfield. And my last piece of the puzzle will be Zorko, hopefully, soon. Um, and, yeah, I, uh, I'm all about, you know, we, we've spoken previously about the game becoming more contested, more wet weather football and how important our rucks are with the tackles and the hit-outs. So that's my theory. I'm sticking with it. Happy to share the theory with other coaches, but, you know, how it transpires is another story. Yeah, low-scoring games the last three weeks uh, uh, for AFL teams, so that pretty much leads into uh, the ball spending a lot more time between the arcs rather than going inside forward 50. So, yeah, um, I wouldn't disagree with that, but, yeah. Uh, that's a potential that, you know, if we've got some wet weather games to finish off the season, uh, you want to be going into those contested type players and, and, you know, those rucks that can tackle and be strong in the wet, like Darcy, like Gorn, like Grundy. All right. Jep, we're going to talk about midfielders. Oh, we're actually defenders now. So Lockie Whitfield at 96%. 
Rory led at 92%, Dan Houston 68%, Isaac Cumming 64%. Now, last week we had the Sam Doherty injury, and he was 72% owned. So that was a, so that was a forced trade uh, for yeah. a lot of those top 25 rent coaches. Your thoughts, sir? Yeah, that would have hurt. Um, that would have hurt a lot. And obviously there was some cash generation potentials there to go from, say, a Doherty to a Houston, who would have been appealing at the time, or... Um, and generate, what, over 150 grand thereabouts. So, yeah, interesting. And then we've got some low-owned players in defence chip. So we've got, uh, well, medium range here for starters. So Callum Mills, 48. Tom Stewart, 44. Jordan Ridley, 44. Nick Hind, uh, I said the move to trade him out last week was on, and that's exactly what happened. So he's 44%, yeah. and he was 80% last week. So the bit of a decline. Now you've got to imagine a lot of the top-ranked coaches, you know, your top 500,000 would be in, a, in that same situation of trading hind out last week, especially with that high break effort. And we go to Oleg Markov at 32%, Jaden Short 24%, Jack Crisp at 20%, a uh, couple of low-owned players here, uh, Jake Lloyd at 12%. Now, so he's dropping in price. It's going to be quite tasty there in a couple of weeks, if mm. not if not sooner and Nick Haynes 8% and the one player I think is going to be a pretty decent target this week at 8% sorry and that is Nick Newman Jeff your thoughts on any one of those yeah look going back to the highly owned ones the Houston's Cummings Hind and Ridley they all really failed in a scoring sense didn't they so in a big scoring week the defenders were lacklustre Chris Blair and Mills held their head high and um, yeah look Nick Newman it was it was gauged that he was going to get a lot of the ball, a soft opponent in Frio, and um, he delivered the goods. All right, we're going to go on to the midfielders now. So Zach Merritt, 100%. Tim Taranto, 96%. Jack McRae, 96%. Tom Mitchell, 88%. Now, Sam Walsh, 76%. Now, the news to come out of Carlton last week was this. Is that Patrick Cripps injured his foot in that game against Fremantle. So mm-hmm. so I pose to you, Jeb, if he misses, and he's questionable, he's 50-50 this week, so if Cripps misses, now, now Walsh has spent some time out in the wing last week, if Cripps misses, however, is Sam Walsh the absolute target from Geelong this week? Well, I think he's a target regardless of what Cripps does. I, I, Sam Walsh was the match winner for Carlton last week. Um, you know, Darcy on one end and Walsh on the other, especially that goal, that sealer, that was phenomenal and all gut running and effort and just courage. So if I'm Chris Scott, I target Walsh no matter what. You chuck O'Connor on Walsh and you just deal with Cripps in a contested ball sense and backing your ball winners against him. Um, So, yeah, luxury trade or let's say not luxury trade, let's say... uh, let's say an analytical trade is, you know, you, you really do look at trading Walsh because he's likely being tagged this week. So, so Ron shadows him last week and doesn't really get the job done. So, and the other factor in, in here as well is that, you know, that Merritt and Parrish weren't targeted last week and they posted monster scores against Geelong. So Geelong's the win, but they posted massive scores. So, mm. you know, you know, been bullish on uh, making a move off of Walsh, but he's making me uh, look a little bit foolish here because he's just getting through it. So it's just that one game it was a low score, but then since since he, he's making me look foolish because he's just that he's that elite that he's just he's moving everywhere and just getting it done. If Marco kind of plays last week though, he goes to merit. You would have thought 
Ford Parish, one of them. He would have gone to one of those two. So Mark Connor watch Mark O'Connor watch, sorry, this week and if he plays, I think Walsh owners should be terrified. And that just goes straight into that Patrick Dangerfield thing. So if, if Trips misses, does that mean Walsh goes into the middle? So if Walsh goes into the middle, well, then Marco Connie goes in, in and potentially follows him. And what does that do to Patrick Dangerfield? So all that is in, intriguing. And, and mm. I, I think about it quite a lot. I mean, if Trips misses and O'Connor plays, Dangerfield, you know, forward. And, uh, you know, it's just a lot to think about and a lot to think about. If, if you're trying to... Uh, improve a little bit, rank 50 points here, you know, 60 points there, you know, that can have a high impact, for, especially for one week, Chip. Agreed, mate. Agreed. It's uh, these tough calls that uh, separate the, the high-ranked coaches and the rest of us. All right, so Darcy Parrish, 56% now, he's had a monster, ceil- monster ceiling year since he moved into the midfield, so that's an increase of 20% for last week. But, Chip, now he's at 891K. How do you even get there if you don't own him? Again, I not that I'm trying to brag or anything, but the, we talked about this during the buy rounds, and <clears throat> during the buys I brought in Took Miller and Parrish because I knew it wasn't possible in a two-trade scenario or even a three-trade scenario with the way cash generation is going at the moment. So you just don't. You um you hope they falter, and um, you look at the discounted premiums. There are two trades. There are two moves that I, I could have made this year apart from a couple of other issues and getting smashed by injuries this year, but there were two moves that I'm just absolutely kicking myself on this year. That was not going Bonson Pellet at round one. I was going to go a Bulldog stack, because remember back in the round one, everyone's thinking, well, how many Bulldogs and what are they going to score? And I was yeah. actually just going to do the opposite. I go, well, I'm just going to put in as many as possible. So I didn't do it. I only just went with Dunkley and McRae. So that's the one thing I'm now I'm just kicking myself. The other one was, and when Parrish acknowledged that Parrish went is going to get that massive midfield usage, I didn't trade him in. So there's two moves that if you... You know, a little bit of foresight, and you could pretty much see what was going to happen. You've actually got to pull the trigger rather than be a little bit hesitant, Chip. Yeah, and look, this is where I write my... One day I'll share my spreadsheet, but this is where I write it. I write these things, what happened and how they happened in my spreadsheet. You know, I have a 2021 tab, and I say, in round three, Caldwell, Shield, injured, Parish moves to the midfield, dominates to highlight it for the next time it happens, for another team even. So I'm a very visual learner. Um, You know, I'm not a very good listener. I I learn more by seeing words on paper than I do hearing it. And um, we've got to learn from our lessons and and get better. Okay, low-owned midfielders, Jeff. And we're going to start with uh, Ollie Wands at 32%, so 16%. Uh, last week's a little bit of spike in ownership there, 868k. Brad Crouch, 24%. Taylor Adams, 20%. And that's all that increase happened last week. So he was a target. Jack Steele at 16%. 883k near. How do you get him? And he's just posting monster games. Andrew Brayshaw, 12%. Marcus Bonsampelli, 881k, 12%. Took Miller, and he's just... Week after week, he's just bulletproof at this stage. 913k, the most expensive player in AFL Fantasy, 8%. And Clayton Oliver is actually seeing a little bit of a drop in salary here. Now 656k, break even to 129. So he's going to be a little bit of a juicy target coming up in the next couple of weeks, Jeb. And a couple of others I'm going to throw in here for the midfielders. 8% in that top 25, Hal Lockie Neal. 
Uh, one team had had a bit of a nightmare with a uh, trying to loop a couple of things and had ended up with Finlay McRae on the ground for five points, so unfortunate there. So he was 32% last week, so a bit of a decline there. People did trade, but a couple did hold. And then one player I still like here, even though Lockie Neal is coming back in, is Jared Lyons at 4%. Jeff, but all these guys I'm pretty much mentioning are monster price tags. What are you thinking? Yeah, good luck getting them. It's um, it's probably the two-step um, trade-up, you know, and by either double downgrading, which is pretty hard to do these days, or um, getting rid of your last-minute prices, maybe if Phillips is hanging around still and, you know, he's almost 500k, so you might get there that way. But, gee whiz, it is super tough. I look at all the all the opponents, so Steele plays Brisbane, for example. Brisbane are typically hard to score against as a midfielder. Uh, Bontempelli against Sydney, I think they will do a little bit of a job on him. Um, Wines against Melbourne, might he, you know, he might be good for that one. I think Wines is uh, is set for a, a big finish to the year. So yeah, it's super hard trying to fit all these dominant primos in your eight starting spots, but um, we can't have them all. It's about analysing the fixture, analysing the individual and where they fit in the team and where the team's at. Um, the one I don't have is Ollie Wines, and I would love to have him because, again, Port vying for that top four, still in with the Hunt top four, and Wines is a big part of that. Yeah, definitely team motivation towards the end of the year has got to play some part into some fantasy games, that's for sure. So the one thing that really sort of we can reiterate right now is that if you're struggling to upgrade, is that you've really got to play close attention to what you spend during the year and not only that is that when you trade some of these rookies i mean do you go early to put that uh, cash in the bank and also adding a further layer onto that is that to targeting these players that uh, are going to play in a decent position and going to see a very good increase in salary very very quickly so you can hit these upgrades so paying very close attention to what you spend and in the end i mean you've got to be um, analyzing what you spend to make sure that you don't get at this time of the year in a situation where you can't upgrade to premium type players but i think it's a little bit of a unique situation i i, I do add on to this is that some of these players are posting up high ceiling numbers jeb and some of these salaries are just mm-hmm. going through the roof. But I still think there's a quite a lot of value underneath. What are you thinking? Yeah, agreed. It's, again, it's just a week-by-week week basis. And, I, look, I told you uh, pre-pod that I was up and about on Friday night. I had Tukmila, Parrish and Merritt, their scores locked away. And um, I was doing a merry dance. But the problem was all these other primos like Steel and Wines and Lions, they all hit big scores. So, um it wasn't so unique in the end. I think it was generally a high-scoring week for most coaches. And, um, you know, fixture analysis and trying to fit in as the, the best primos you possibly can at this point of the year. Um, and then, like I said before, whoever you bring in, just got to say to yourself, look, I'm bringing this player in for the rest of the year. Um, do I want him for the whole the remaining rounds of the season? Uh, which is really important because that that's what you could be faced with. Now, if you make an early trade early in the year, like around four, around five, and you go, yeah, I'll, I'll just use this player for three or four week scenario or just to make some good cash. By the time it gets around 19, 20, you can't, potentially you can't get him out of the team because you've just got other priorities to deal with, Jep. Yeah, it happens. It happens, it happens, it happens. And, and, and this is where 
when you traded your primo in round five that was underperforming, this is where it hurts. It hurts now because you're still stuck with, you know, a Newcomb on field, for example. That's, that is a stinger. All right, Jet, we're going to get into the forwards now. So Josh Kelly, 100% owned, locked in. Aaron Hall, 100% owned, locked in. Scott Pendlebury, 88% uh, locked in. Now, he was at round 14. So going back a couple of weeks there, he was at 0%. So you can see his um, value has played pretty much a large part into this ownership, and obviously he's moved back into that midfield there as well. So Lockie Hunter, that's 76%. Dustin Martin, your man. So he's at 68%. And Patrick Dangerfield, who we discussed earlier, at 60%. And last week, uh, a 20% increase on last week. So... Um, he will be a target this week, no doubt about it. And I'll go into the lower-owned player that we mentioned also. Dane Zorko, 8% in that top 25, 8.20k though, so you're going to have to uh, pay a little bit extra cash, Jeb. Are your thoughts on any one of those? Uh, I actually think Dusty would go, come good now. I think um, Richmond are faced with a situation where they've got to pull, basically pull the finger out and, and get on with it. And um, there will be some harsh words from Hardwick to his players and I've said it, and people don't agree with me always, but I've said Dusty can be a lazy footballer on field. When he wants to play, he's one of the best. Well, he's the best. But when he doesn't want to play and he's not fully in it, he can um, hinder his team So and hinder his fantasy scores. So let's. I'm expecting big things from uh, Dusty against Collingwood this week, and he's one of my trading options, believe it or not. Okay, we're going to talk about your top five targets for round 17, Jeb. So assuming you don't own any of those, so go away. Yeah, so Grundy for me, number one. I um, Just quickly, if um, uh, Burgess can score well against Richmond, then I'm tipping Grundy's going to have a big one. Taylor Adams, lowly owned, um, real high, uh, well, achievable Salary and achieve will get. I think he will be great. Uh, Dangerfield for obvious reasons. Tom Mitchell against Fremantle and Dusty, as I mentioned earlier, they're my five. So Jack Steele for me, Tuke Miller, Marcus Bontempelli, Dane Zorko, Jared Lyons. Uh, you're going to have to rob a bank to get pretty much any of those. Uh, good luck. But uh, they're my high-selling top players. All right, Jeff, we're going to talk about some low-break evens here to move on with the podcast. So Ned Reeves, minus 22. So pretty much you're going to have to get an opportunity there with Segler and McAvoy going out of that team. Max Lynch uh, pretty much won't see any action uh, for Collingwood unless some injuries happen or Robert Harvey goes down to a different path. Um, he's played okay in the VFL, so minus 10. Nick Bryant still waiting for another opportunity to Essendon, minus four. Kieran Briggs will obviously shame Mumford's in the way there, minus four. Lockie Bramble did okay in the weekend, but scores still not, not really getting to a situation where he's making a lot of cash there, so at minus two. Jeremy Sharp was pretty decent there as well, so uh, just a two, but he's getting up there in salary. Luke Foley didn't really put it up there with regards to his score last week. He's at two. And Leo Connolly um, scores 50 and a quarter, then comes out and scores less, pretty much less than that in a full game. But the conditions, I would have to say... Uh, tell the listeners there at the MCG last Sunday weren't actually that good but his role was actually pretty good there Jeff your thoughts on any one of those yeah um, we're star for cash so try target the, the rooks that you believe are going to score or generate cash quickly because for a lot of us they're not going to be on field at this point of the season just one debut last week, Jep. And so based on what I've looked at previously in the 2018-2019 numbers, I'd guesstimate a little about 
15 to 18 more debuts for the remainder of the season. So we're starting to dry up quite significantly. And not only that, if, you do, if it's 15 to 18, you know, there might not, might only be like five or six genuine targets there. So, all right, Jeff, we're going to get on to some other players to consider uh, below 700k. So just get one liner from each of those. So here we go. So I've got a pretty long list here. So Ben Cunnington's actually getting it done. 115.5 last four, 750k, 78 break. Evan, your thoughts? Yeah, love him. Um, think he's going to be good for the rest of the season if he can stay fit. Luke Dunstan, uh, massive numbers in that St Kilda midfield. So last five, he's averaged 110.6, 749k. Uh, so it's getting up there in price, but I still like him there. It's at 99 break, Evan. What are you thinking? It's crazy, isn't it? It's, it looks like it's working for St Kilda, that mix with Dunstan and Steele yep. as their hardball getters. So, yeah, um, if it's working for St Kilda, it's going to work in a fantasy sense as well. So, Jai Simpkin, he's been quite solid as well. Last five, 109.2, 742K. is probably the top of range where I want to spend some money on him. 98 break, Evan. Jeb, I still like him. Uh, what are you thinking? No, I don't. Again, the consistency, I wouldn't feel comfortable bringing uh, Simpkin in for the rest of the season. Jack Zebel, so big numbers uh, for Aaron Hall, and Zebel was a part of that last week, holding onto the ball across half back in there, D50 for the Kangaroos against the Bulldogs. So Zebel's averaged 100 uh, points post buy, so 742k, 111 break even. I actually, he's not really that owned in that forward line for the top 25, so I actually quite like him as a target there as well. What are you thinking there, Jep? Yeah, I don't mind him as well. Um, Again, one of those top six forwards. I'd prefer Zebel over Dangerfield as an example. Um, yeah, let's see what the rain does here in Perth for the Monday night game. But Optus Stadium is that mark kick ground, and he could be in for a big one. And he's, the last time he played on Optus Stadium, he scored 160-odd. Oh, OK, Jack Crisp. So last six, he's averaged 103.5, 741K, low owned, and 114 break. Evan Jep, I think, oh, he's actually not, he's medium owned, so I quite like him still there at the Made Pies, Jep. Yeah, I love him, and he plays Richmond, won't get any attention, and should score three digits again. Taylor Adams, uh, back quite sold last two, he's averaged 112.5, 730K, so he's quite a bit of value there. He was a little bit of a target last week, break even at 95, but he has had an interrupted season with knee injuries. Jet, what are you thinking? I do like him. I like him because of the uniqueness, and I like him because I, I can actually afford him. <laughs> so um, if you can't get the steals and the bonts of the world or the Oli Wines or whatever, the Took Millers, that's, you go to Adams. Travis Boak, last three, 107.3, 730k, break even to 92. Uh, he's in there with Wines. Can post big numbers, Jeb. Um, I don't mind it. Uh, but, yeah, uh, I would potentially go in other in a, another direction. But, yeah, I don't mind him. What are you thinking? No, I couldn't do it. Not with the other available midfielders around him at a similar price. Okay, Lockie Neal. So he misses last week of the calf injury. Chris Fagan pretty much guarantees, almost without actually saying it, that he's going to play this week. So 108.5, 729k, 109 break even. Now, Jeb, a lot of people jumped off him last week. Now, this is one of those things. He can put up a decent ceiling. We know that from last year. But mm-hmm. what, if you're trading him in, you're pretty much doing it with a lot of risk, especially with any potential injury, especially coming back from a calf concern. So there is monster risk here, but there is also monster reward, Jep. I like it. Oh, gee whiz, no. I'd wait a week. I'd, I'd swear for weeks on end if I brought in Neil and he does a soft tissue. That wouldn't sit well with me. You'd, you, again, it's, there's other ways to generate the points. Um, you'd wait a week on Neil. If I have to trade him out for a third time, I'll, I'll lose the plot. 
Okay, on to Dom Sheed. Now, big game from Sheed last week, 129 points. So the Eagles were actually smashed in that game. 7-16K, Jeb, break even to 98. But what you're going to get from Sheed is volatile scoring. So he's going to score 128 one week or 129 one week, but he's going to exactly. score you know 80 points in another. So the volatility, um, it, this time of year, you pretty much don't mind it if you can hit a couple of those ceiling games in a row, Jeb. I... I don't think I can do it, but I, I, if people want to do no. it, I can see why. No, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Um, don't forget, Redden went down with injury in that game, so he got a bit more midfield time. It, when the every, the dust settles down and the Eagles get to play, they want to play the way they want to play. Um, Sheed will be up against it to score three digits, so don't do it. So Luke Parker, no ownership whatsoever. So last three, 104 point. Three average, seven fifteen k break even to ninety four. Jeb, I don't mind it. Yeah, he, he's typically not had the ceiling game though, especially in the last couple of years. So for that reason, avoid. Sean Darcy talked about him a little bit earlier. Fantastic season he's putting together. Now he's also a high ceiling player, and, and we know that now. That's I'm locking that in, and he is a target for next year to start with as well. So yeah. ninety four point seven his season average. So seven oh nine salary break even of 95 so there's your alternative for Patrick Dangerfield if you don't own um, Sean Darcy Jeff. Agreed, um, get amongst it, he was fantastic last week and um, he's starting to prove that he can back it up week to week and that's come with a bit more fitness and a bit more age and maturity So Dyson Heppel, a bit of a finger hand concern come up there uh, reported today, so just got to keep an eye out for that Essendon injury report. So there's one player now I don't like because of the injury concern, and he would be questionable at least for this week. So we've just got to wait and see how that plays out from Essendon's point of view as far as concern is their injury report is. So he's at uh, 75 in man 16, so a little bit of a concern there with his low score, but might have had to do something with his injury there. So 693k, break even to 110. Um, not going anywhere near it with any type of injury concern, Jip. No, no way. You couldn't do it. Tom Stewart, 110 bounce back last week, so 95.5 season average, 686k, 104, I think is a bit of a target right now, Jip. Yeah, and again, I think this is the time you jump on Tom Stewart. He's, I've, I've said in previous pods and during the year just to wait and wait and wait, but now's the time to jump on Stewart, I think. Jaden Short just 65 points last week at 686k, 108 break even. But his previous four games, he averaged 105.3. Now, Richmond only uh, recorded 44 uncontested marks last week. So, and the biggest thing for Short is now Basher Hawley is injured and is going to be a significant week. So you've got to imagine that Short's going to be a massive outlet player for that uh, from D50 for the Tigers. So I love this pick right here. Yeah, I agree. And it's only because of the Hawley injury now. So even if Richmond play more direct, Jaden Short's still going to be a target. Brandon Ellis, volatile scoring year, but he's had some monster ceiling games. 99.5 from his last two games, 683k, 103 break. Evan, Jep, any thoughts? Nah, the volatile trend will continue, mate, so no go. Daniel Rich, 96.5 season average, no, no ownership whatsoever, 680k, 109 break even. Any thoughts, Egypt? No, it's a bit like Parker, um, no real ceiling, so you wouldn't do it. Jake Lloyd, now he is uh, hemorrhaging a little bit of cash here, so he's got a break even of 122, down to 672k. Um, one or two more weeks, Jip, and he's going to be a juicy price. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm um, an owner, a frustrated owner, that he hasn't delivered on what he's promised in previous years. So he was looking good against West Coast early too, just faded in that third quarter and a bit in the last. So, um, yeah, keep an eye on it for him. Could be a big second half of the year and some big scores. All right, Patrick Dangerfield, 149 points last week. It's like... Jep, it's like you've just lit up the barbecue and the flies are going to come in from everywhere. So 671k, he's break-even at 63, so no issue with regards to his salary there and what he's going to earn for you. Um, but he's going to be a monster target this week, so plenty of flies around that barbecue are going to click on target, hit, trade in. Yeah, it's, again, like we said, if you want to hold rank, you bring in Dangerfield. If you want to gain rank, you look elsewhere like a Zorka. And you just take it on. So if he beats you, will he beat you? So, yeah, exactly. But, but with six or seven weeks to go in the season, I think we start to take some risks in that situation. So still side bottom, 47 points mm-hmm. only last week. So it was a bit of a shocker. So he did actually start to follow follow Brad Hill around in that second half because Hill was quite damaging in that first half of the Saints. So just got to be a little bit of a concern here for Sidebottom. So that's another excuse that I would use not to look at him. 668k, 127 break even. He's going to get cheaper in a couple of weeks. So that may be something we look at for the last two or three rounds if he hits below uh, 600. So, but his previous six rounds, he did average 98.5 points chip. If he gets below 600k, um, monster target. Oh, yeah. I think we just wait and see with Dangerfield. Um, oh, sorry, with Sidebottom. Um, but, yeah, for now, let's just calm the farm and, and focus on in, on the targets we've spoken about previously. Christian Salem. Now, last three, he's averaged 109.3, 668K, break-in with 66. So no ownership whatsoever. Jeb, I like him, actually, in, de- in defence. So what are you thinking there? I do, too. I just wish he was more consistent to, um, to back him in on. Um, he can really turn it on, and he's a real um, instigator out of the defensive uh, back half for Melbourne. So, other than consistency, there's nothing not much to like here. So you probably go. You probably bring him in as a point of difference and hope for the best. Lockie Hunter last week just 66 points, 666 Devils number. He is at salary, so. Uh, 110 break even, but his previous five games is averaged 97.8. I don't think there's any issues here, however, Jip. Yeah, I don't. I think he's, well, I know he's back to his accustomed wing role, so that makes me smile a lot, being an Luke Ryan, 98.8 from his last two games, so he's right there with regards to some pretty good scoring defenders. 6-6-6K, break even of 88, Jip. Thoughts? No, I couldn't do it. Not with others available. Braden Fiorini. Now, he was actually good, and we know he's got a, a great fantasy game. So he goes into that midfield, plays a little bit inside there as well, which is great. He scores 101 points, 641K, break even to 93. But Lockie Well is due back from a hamstring injury this week, and Hugh Greenwood is coming back into that team after missing last week. So some chance Fiorini actually has dropped this week. Jep, your thoughts? Yeah, great. And you just don't do it. Just do not bring in Fiorini under any circumstances. Dustin Martin, your man, so 69 last week, 630K, so still that juicy salary for me, and I think he's still value at that price. So break even 97. From his previous four games, average 95.5. Jep, I still like him. Yeah, I agree. This is the week now. Like I said, Richmond can't afford to muck around anymore and watch a big performance from Dusty this week.
Now, Dunstan put up a pretty decent game last week, and Jack Steele was absolutely awesome. Obviously, a lot of tackles in there. I think he had about 14 tackles there as well. So Collingwood did give up a stack of possession last week. So you've got to imagine if Dusty's going to get going, this is the week against the Magpies. And that five is our next one we're going to talk about. So he's had that shoulder concern. Now, it's pretty much what I can gather out of just, uh, Justin Longmuir's press conference, it it's pretty much could be a week-to-week scenario with Fife and how he's feeling. So complete avoid, 126, 126 break-even, 629k, although it looks quite juicy there. So for me, a complete avoid on Fife, Chip. Yeah, agreed, mate. Scott Pendlebury, uh, still value down there at 625k, break-even 69. From his previous four games, uh, 94.5, Chip. Still like him? I do. I wish he'd... <laughs> score a bit high and get a bit of a ceiling, but that's not coming. So um, steady as she goes, but at least we know Pendles will be consistent. Yeah, it'd be somewhere in between that 95 and 100 average. So yeah. 100 and 105, sorry, 95 and 105. So he's never that 120, 130 type of guy, although he can throw one of those in there every now and again. But, yeah, you're looking at just a, an average of 100 there from Pendlebury. But if you're going to get that, I think that's quite solid, especially at that price. So another player we talked about and touched on earlier in the podcast, Dan Houston. So 70 last week, low-scoring game, 612K, uh, 88 break even. Jep, I still like him. Yeah, I like him too. Um, I think he'll come good. Elliot Yo. Now, the interesting thing here is that his game time percentage has gone up in uh, recent times. So 79 last week against the Swans. So yes, Redden did go out of that team. So you've got to imagine that Yo did uh, spend some more time on ground. But, so I'll just give you some numbers there. So 118 last week, 605k, which is really Decent value for Yo in a good situation when he's quite healthy. And you've got to expect it's at that time now that he's actually getting full fitness. Break even at 74. Now, well, um, Ryan Daniels did actually ask Adam Simpson last week about managing players' uh, minutes on ground. And Adam Simpson pretty much dismissed that and said it's actually quality minutes rather than just time on ground. So, And we know that Yo is a tackle machine, so he can get it... Uh, done in multiple ways from a fantasy perspective at 605k i have some interest here in yo um obviously we've got to acknowledge he's missing pretty much uh, 12 months due to a groin injury but he's been pretty consistent as far as playing since he returned jet i actually kind of like it here yeah i mate i completely agree with you and because of his tackle numbers it's half the battle and he would be um you know, ahead of Sheed in my books to, to trade in, especially at 605000 bucks. And if North Melbourne Monday night turns into a wet-weather football game, gee whiz, he'll be tackling Cunnington every second mm. ball up. So, um, yeah, lot to, uh, lot to ponder. And West Coast have a really decent run to finish the season too. Uh, next player should be a pretty genuine target, I would imagine. So Nick Newman, so 113 points from his last two he has averaged. So at 595k, break in at 56. So that's a good good spot as far as your salary cap is concerned and your spend. And I think you're going to get some value there right there. But we've just got to have a bit of a think about what the situation Newman is faced with. Now, the positive is that Doherty is out long-term, so he's got that position across half-back, and I don't think it should be a lockdown role. So the player to return from suspension last week is Zach Williams. 
but I think with Doherty in that team with Williams and Newman, that sort of hamstrings uh, Newman a little bit. But with just Williams in that scenario, I think it still should be a good situation for Newman, and he still should be that outlet player for the Blues, although Williams does come into that team. So with all that situation, 113 from his last two, 595k is value, I would imagine, and the 56 uh, break-even is not going to hurt you. I like this pick a lot, Jet. Uh, yeah, I like the Newman pick a lot. I want to see how it plays out against Geelong this week. I think he's still cheap enough after this round to, to get, so we'll look at it then. Okay, the other one we've tapped on earlier is Jake Stringer. So last three, 115, average 582k, break even of 30. So all those numbers suggest monster value and big target, which he may might be. Uh, but yeah, I think there's a lot of risk here, Jet. Yeah, not consistent enough for my liking. Nick Haynes, 67 points only last week, but his previous three, he averaged 99 points, so I don't think that's too much of an issue. 576k, I still like him there at that price, 71 break-even, break even, Jep. No, I'm off him. Um, Sam Taylor due back very soon. Rowan Marshall, now, I, we did say, well, at least I did um, early in the year, is that Marshall could be a target later in the year because we don't have to rely okay. on him for several weeks at a time. So he posted 91 last week, 575k, 107 break even. Jeb, is it time to hit the trade in on Marshall? Look, he um, he started really well, didn't he? And he, he sort of faded in that last quarter. So um, I'm keeping my eye on him. I, I think we'd probably give him one more week of fitness and then look at it for round 18. Yeah, 107 break even is not really going to hurt you if you put, post a decent number. So, you know, might, yeah, I agree. So wait one more week and see where that lands. So if you post, post like 100, 110 or whatever, uh, we might give him more consideration next week. Okay, Jordan DeGoey, monster target I think he will be this week. Last three, he averaged one. Last two, he's averaged 115. Um, and then we're going to go into 574 salary and break even to 24, Jep. So, again, he's got the green light, but, yeah, you know, the, the magpies aren't screwing, so is that a move they're going to make? And we've got to evaluate the list. But, yeah, he definitely has a green light right now, and he's, he's part of that mark kick chain of calling on what they're doing, holding onto the ball. I just, yeah, not, I couldn't recommend it, and I still can't recommend it. I think it's, uh, it's a huge risk play, and there are better ways to, uh, to go with than to go, personally. Tim Kelly. Uh, we know his potential for a tag at West Coast. So 97, he scored last week. He's at 567k. So he's right down there in salary and break even of 111. So he's not really going to hurt you as far as if you post a decent number against the Kangaroos. But yeah, I'd, I'd pretty much go up to Yo instead of Kelly, um, knowing that Kelly could be a bit of a target there. But yeah, 567k, that's way down there for what he can average. Agree with you there, mate, with the, the tag thing. So, you know... You go yo. We always say that we don't uh, we don't bring in the players that are first tag in the team typically. Towards the end of the year, we start looking at key forwards, Jeb. So we only have to go a short period of time, and potentially you know one or two or three weeks to finish off the season. We know that uh, Jeremy Cameron got a winner for overall AFL fantasy ranking uh, in the last game a couple of years ago on the Gold Coast. So now we start to look at some uh, key forwards and what they could potentially average for the remainder of the year. So uh, as part of that Patrick Dangerfield conversation goes in where, where Jeremy Cameron is injured, injured, is it, you know, that pretty much leaves Tom Hawkins to be the sole focus, pretty much the key focus for the Cats. So any chance you like him 
Now, the, the Cats do have a medium draw against key forwards to finish off the season. 567k, break even to 95. Um, starting to get a little bit of interest here, but yeah, key forwards can be a bit of a drain and quite volatile. Six to seven weeks to go, is it too early, Jip? It's probably this this week's too early because Weedering, I like Weedering on him. I think he'll be honest and, and Hawkins will struggle to score. But Fremantle, Richmond, North Melbourne, GWS, St Kilda, Melbourne to finish. So, yeah, definitely look at him later. Liam Jones, I think, might get the, the go on Hawkins, but we'll wait and see how that plays out. But, yeah, but, uh, well, pretty much from an opposition point of view, if you only got one key forward left, you pretty much put all your resources into that one player. So, yeah, um, looking at that situation for Hawkins might be a negative. So as much as I pumped him up being the only focus is that you know, opposition teams might just focus in on him, which might be a negative. So a little bit to think about there. Okay, Zach Williams back from suspension. So down at 539k jet, break even at 67. So he can get it done. What are you thinking there on Williams? I just don't like it. Not from what he's dished up this season. Still not look fit enough to me and oh, you can't do it. Okay, Jack Bowes, so 98, uh, he scored last week. So 539K down there in salary now, so 78 break even. So the Suns did have a dry patch there as far as uncontested mark goes. Now, Richmond have been giving up a stack of uncontested marks, and not under the roof, but at uh, Marvel Stadium last week, uh, the Gold Coast Suns had a stack of uncontested marks, and that's where Bowes actually scored quite well. So he is down there in price. Now, we know he can average 100, so I actually quite like this pick, but we've just got to, you know, are they going to go back to that mark hit game, uncontested marks? If they are, I really like this pick, Chip. Yeah, it's one of these ones where you, he's probably a realistic target for many that have struggled to generate cash um, at D6, as an example. So, poor... We've seen him in half forward a couple of weeks ago. They uh, Dewey threw the magnets around. So as long as you're comfortable that he's in the back half, then you do it. Matthew Kennedy. Now, his last three is averaged 99.3, 538K. We know he's going inside midfield, and he's actually been quite good for the Blues. So break even at 41. You know, again, it's what you said earlier, is that you're trading these guys in for the remainder of the year. Is, is Kennedy going to average 100 for the remainder of the year? If he does, that 538K just, just smashes the value. So I quite like the pick. Uh, I would temper the expectations to be about a 90 to 95 average, probably at best, Chip. Yeah, agreed. Um, but I agree with what you said earlier about he was actually really good for Carlton against Frio. Um and, yeah, with a break-even of 41, gee whiz, it's really, really tempting. And I think if those that already have Dangerfield would probably go Kennedy or if they're looking for a little bit of a cheaper option, then Kennedy's a guy. Kennedy or Dugowie? Kennedy. Okay. We're going to get onto some listener requests. So uh, very much appreciated those that send those in. We're going to do a nine-pack to finish off, Jeb. So just one word, like or dislike, to finish off the podcast. Jaden Short ran 16.65, 105.3 previous four. Jeb, I still like. Like. Rowan Marshall, 91. Like. Like as well. Jordan Degoe, 115. Uh, let me, before you answer, I've got to pretty much give an answer here. With a green light, I've got to say like. Nah, no, dislike. Can't do it. Jack Bowes, I do like at 98. Yeah, like that as well. And that's 98 he scored last week. So, Lockie Neal, 
Um, I do I do like it. It's at 105 from his last two games when he played. But, yeah, high risk here, but I still do like it low ownership. I like him as well, but just not this week. Now, one player we're going to have uh, just a quick chat on here to finish off with is Stephen Canelio. Now, he's he played in a VFL on his return last week. Is is he one player that we're going to target initially to come in, or we want to see a little bit of game time first before um, he puts before we start to consider him for a trade chip? No, we wait and see because I can't be guaranteed that Canelio gets a, a full-time gig in that midfield role. I, I expect him to play a lot forward when he comes back. So let's just watch and see how it plays out. I don't think um, Cameron wants to sh- uh, muddle up the dynamics too much. They've worked pretty well as without him, so um, especially in the last month. So, yeah, let's wait and see in Canelio. So it's a dislike? Yeah. Yeah, dislike for me as well. So Tim Kelly, uh, around 16.98, oh, I don't like. No, dislike too. Matthew Kennedy, last three, 99.3, I like. Yeah, love. And the package, Jake Stringer, last three, 115, I dislike. Yeah, dislike too, mate. Shep, final thoughts ahead for the listeners to round 17. Target those players who you want for the rest of the season, okay? If you don't want them for the rest of the year, don't trade them in. We don't have time to muck around anymore, and it's and it's time to take risks too. Yeah, I, I agree with that, taking on the risk. But, yeah, keep an eye on news, and obviously if, if you get uh, injury impacted, uh, just start, start to plan out what you can do. All right, Jeff, that's it for Episode 99 all of a sudden. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Thanks, guys.